0: to another edition of Sounding Off, a series brought to you by The Sound of Victory. I'm Perry Johnson. And I'm Courtney Cox.
1: We are so grateful to be joined by DJ Poison Ivy, social impact architect and sports sound strategist for the NBA's Dallas Mavericks. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you all for having me. You know, anytime I get to hang out with some super rad women, I am down for it. And you guys are At the intersection of cool and rad, and that's where I want to be, so I'm super, super excited about that.
1: (laughs) I really love your title, too. Can you kind of describe your role with the Mavs? What does it mean to be a sports sound strategist?
2: So, funny you say that, because if you go to our org structure, you will find none of that. I just make up titles for the things that I do, because I think that it's important for one to define themselves. Sports sound strategy is a term that I'm coining because if I had a dollar for every time that somebody asked me what it is that I did as a team DJ or what my job consisted of, what my day-to-day looked like, I always have a hard time painting that picture because in my role with the Mavericks do a lot, right? Times have changed. And as the league has progressed, a lot of teams have adopted formal resident team DJs. Um, And across the league, I'm very fortunate to know a lot of these guys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, I should say. And there's a clear distinction in what we each do in our arenas. So specific to the Dallas Mavericks, I am responsible for just that The strategy of the sound from door open to the last person walking out the building. And I say strategy because I think a lot of people might not know the strategic positioning and placement of all auditory cues that you hear in that arena. It's all programmed, right? And so while it's programmed, there's a reason. For everything being where it is. And so, um, and I think that that's applicable not only in our arena, but across several different arenas, across several different sports, right? And now you can find DJs in NHL, NFL, MLB, WNBA, the Olympics, and everything in between. But should I also say that not everybody who serves in these roles is an actual traditional DJ? I happen to be, right? And hence the, the term sports sound strategy, because I want it to be encompassing of people who may have that skill set, knowingly or unknowingly, but are not DJs or interested in being DJs, if that makes sense. So a lot of, you know, people who work in this role, in this capacity in the league, actually have turntables at their respective arenas. I don't, Right. Um, So a lot of them mix, actual DJ mix, pregame, maybe even into shoot around, maybe even into timeouts and things of that nature. But a lot of different teams have another person who operates instant replay software or other manipulatives that just literally require you to press a button to trigger a sound, right? I do everything by myself, may I add, while other teams have... Staffs ranging from two, maybe even up to upwards of six or seven that are interchangeable. So I am in-house, I'm resident, I'm all the time, and I'm everything. So that is a long-winded answer to what it means to be the Dallas Mavericks Sports Sound Show.
0: Uh, One of the reasons you are such a dream interview voice um, that we want to elevate as part of this project is because you embody the intersection between music and sport, which is the whole impetus behind this project. So what does sport sound like to you? Or to think about it another way, how do you see the relationship between music and sports or sound and sports?
2: I implore everybody who hasn't had the opportunity to watch a game on mute. Or Google, I think it was last season when the New York Knicks played a silent half at the garden. And I think you will quickly realize that it you take away a sensory experience, specifically sound from sports, and you have a very distinctly different product When you think about something as simple as the goal, the basketball going through a hoop, or when you think about a soccer player kicking a goal successfully, or you think about in hockey with the horn, when you think about the whistle, a referee's whistle. So this is without inserting a sports sound strategist, DJ, whatever you want to call it. These are naturally occurring environmental sounds that come with territory, so to speak, right? So then you add in, you know, celebratory music in what we call a hot timeout, right? Your team is on a run, 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 hit a huge basket, massive song plays. It shifts moods. It, it, it almost, I think maybe because I've been on the end of triggering the sound that does elicit such a roar and a response, it gives me chills talking about it because, you know, there's such a synergy and there's such an opportunity to formalize the need. It's not necessarily just that we're not dispensable anymore, right? We very much add to that atmosphere. As this really cool guy that I work with May um, Mark Cuban always says, you know, we're not in the business of, Of just selling a sporting event. This is a concert. This is a dance party. This is an experience. We're selling sore throats. We're selling, you know, tired limbs, all of that. And it all comes from adding the sonic element to this already massive live programming event, which is a sports game. So even players, they amp and psych themselves up to music. Well, not even just pro players, I mean, up and down the timeline, right? Uh, most of us go on our daily walks or runs or whatever. Everything is set to a beat, a cadence, right? Which is the backbone of all things music and sports. So th- the synergies are real. And then, of course, there's that great Drake line where, you know, he's like, you know, they all want to be us and we want to be them. And athletes are entertainers to a certain degree. And then some entertainers are athletes. And it's just one of those things where it's like they admire one another's just drive and competitiveness and they share so many traits and characteristics. And so I'm so blessed. I don't know what I ever did to be so lucky. And for me personally to combine two of my biggest passions, I didn't grow up without one or the other, both were introduced to me right around the same age, which is like what five to eight. And I, again, I just, I'm so grateful to be able to work literally at the corner
0: (laughs) of both. So is there maybe an early sport or music memory that stands out to you um, that you sort of think about or return to when you were first introduced to both spheres?
2: My earliest memories of growing up in Nairobi, Kenya, I always say that as I reminisce and reflect on my childhood, I hear my childhood more than I see it. It's more of a sonic experience. And when I say sonic, I don't necessarily also just mean music. But Nairobi is a very hustling, bustling type of city. And it has a vibe to it. The vibe is auditory. It's like the people, the traffic. Like, I grew up at a time where the country was just getting, like, first FM radio signals. And, of course, with that came... Of a push of you know all things Western culture, so obviously at the time '90s, I'm like a '90s R&B connoisseur because of this. And my babysitters and nannies always had the radio blasting. And then at the age of five, my grandmother bought me a twelve-key baby grand piano for Christmas. Uh, one of my godmothers is among the most early, earliest accomplished pianists in Kenya, and she told my mom, you know, hey here's a hit on how to help your child out in terms of getting better at math and counting and all things quantity and, you know, help them play an instrument. And that's one thing I'm a really big advocate of is not only introducing your children to the arts early for the simple fact that they need it for just therapeutic purposes, expression and whatever else, but it also actually instills basic reading, writing, counting, you know, early on. So I started playing piano really young and then I was raised by my extended family, very fortunate to have a huge, huge, huge family, but I'm also born what I call mid or out of generation. So my mother's among the eldest of her cousins, but she had a child really, really early. So her cousins at the time were, you know, way younger. So they're my aunts and uncles are like my age, you know? Um, And so they took care of me a lot. They raised me a lot. And a couple of them were really into music, really into the arts, really into sport. So I was always like, Come to choir practice with us. Like I was always being lulled and lugged around to these various things. Or the your, you know, if you have any of you have uncles or big brothers or anybody who plays a sport before they had the things that rebound to you and all of those. I was an extra hand, like here, come outside and play with me as long as you rebound the ball. So my uncle Sham, you know, basketball fanatic. Like I remember playing basketball nonstop. We weren't at the time, we didn't have ESPN or Fox Sports or NBA TV or any of that. So they, you know, when they would go overseas and um, they'd come back with Jordan highlight tapes and we would watch him almost until like the tape wore out to the, to the point where like the tape wouldn't play at certain parts, you know? It didn't hit me until like I met Vince Carter. I, I made a point to say hi to Vince Carter at the last game, which we all knew was going to be his last game. But it didn't hit me until then that – because my uncle was huge of his carter fame. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is who instilled this love of basketball for me. um, I'm just very, very grateful. But I I was never athletic. I'm not athletic in any regard or capacity. Now, I'll shoot the lights out. I'll beat somebody at a game of horse. I know that part. But um, but I've always – you know, even in in middle school, like, I played in middle school, barely played in high school. Funny story, I became – the basketball team manager and somehow I still got three letters every season because I wanted to get you know I athletic trained and did whatever else but in my role as the team manager like I would I was known for having making our teams like intro and warm-up mixtapes and they were always the best so I'd always get requests from other teams and people and I'm like again it didn't hit me till very recently like oh my gosh these are the early seeds of you learning how to weave knowing that it wasn't cool when your team practiced in a quiet gym and all you heard was squeak so i'd make us mixes and downloading music illegally (laughs) doing everything that we were doing back then to the point where like you know i have a cd case full of cds that i would make for my friends and i would make them like very intentionally i would organize the tracks and i would like instruct them to listen to it in specific order and I'd make them for specific people because I knew like their you know musical tastes and interests and such. And of course, I was a ball girl for the Mavericks growing up. So, in fact, when I interviewed for my current role, and they asked me you know that dreaded interview question where they're like, "Why you?" And I walked in with the picture of me as a ball girl with the broom in my hand, and I'm like, "Because I'm not sure that anybody has spent well, sure people are, but I've spent many nights in the AAC for six years, or so." And I mean, this is a, a box championship, heck of playoff game. I know what this building could feel and should sound like from a very young age, you know? And so I think that's why you should trust me with the reins. And here we are.
1: I love that your whole life has been bringing you to this moment in small ways. Like the, the way that you have the mixtape, because it's like, some people can be like, I can make that summer mixtape, or you'd be like, I got Kazaa on my computer. Like, why not? You know? But if there's so yeah. so real about, like, no, I know how to tailor it to a moment, to a person, like that skill set, honing that skill set early. And then, of course, being a ball girl for the Mavs, like, you are a vet in this game times 10, right? Um, <laughs> and thinking about that, like, what about the arena, especially American Airlines Center specifically? Mm-hmm. I'm obviously very biased about that space. But what is about that arena and arenas in general, um, especially basketball arenas that really stuck with you as a place that you wanted to be?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because I've been fortunate to be in so many and some really good ones. And I, I've always thought that the AAC was bound to be special because prior to that, the Mavericks played in the reunion. Now I was never fortunate enough to experience like the reunion, what they call rowdies. But from what I hear, that was a phenomenal place to watch basketball, even prior to the Mavericks being good, right? So it transferred that same energy to the AAC. And I think for me, that was the first arena that I ever went to. I have so many memories attached. I know that arena inside, outside, backwards, left and right. I mean, secrets of it, you know, I just, it's almost like a best friend, you know what I mean? You feel comfortable in it. It's home. It was a home away from home. Heck, I probably spent just as much time there as several other, you know, important places in, in one's life. Like you said, these buildings have life. You have to think that a place that holds so much. You know how they say the walls have ears, if walls could talk, or the walls no secrets? Like, these buildings truly do have life. I've been fortunate enough to be in these spaces, like after a big win, or after a really bad loss, or you know, I've seen, I've seen a champion, like I've seen the championship trophy rolled out to the Miami Heat in 06 in that building. I sometimes stand in that very spot and I'm like, I will come back to the spot with the championship ring in my hand, you know, because who else gets to experience ups and downs like that? Okay, so very recently, for example, I've been super blessed to DJ both at the Staples Center as well as the Bulls Arena. You know, I remember watching the last dance. And like those stairs that Scotty was running up, you know, and I'm like, ah, those stairs, because I had to walk them like 17 times this year when I was beating All-Star, you know, or um, even Staples, like, you know, just walking the halls and Staples and just seeing all the posters. And I don't know, I'm an extremely nostalgic person. So I, when I occupy these spaces, I can almost feel like the great people and the great talent and the energy and you know, know that these hallways, these seats, like, they've experienced and seen so much. I don't know why it's so personal to me, but I feel like, you know, again, these buildings have life, and my responsibility is to, like, give it more life
0: and give it a soundtrack and give it a vibe and... It's so amazing, and I the, the nostalgic impact, like, resonates with us. We thought about nostalgia a lot, especially with respect to spaces and places and the histories they contain and the way that sound is so much a part of those histories. I mean, sound, I think, is second in terms of memory recall to smell, in terms of, like, mm-hmm. transporting us back mm-hmm. to moments and, like, bringing all the visceral um, feelings. Like, the everything sort of returns in an overwhelming way. Um, with sound or music as the catalyst. So it's something that's super powerful and thinking about it in space and certainly something that we want to continue to do. So it's great to sort of hear your experiences in these spaces. Uh, Thinking about the history of spaces, though, is also the way that that power has been um, unequal. Power has been abused in spaces. Power operates in spaces. Both the DJ world and sports are historically male-dominated spaces. You are only the second woman to work as an arena DJ in the NBA, the first to DJ an NBA all-star game. So badass. And I hate to ask this question. I hate that we have to ask these questions, but how does gender operate for you or how does this gender um, disparity operate for you as you move through both sort of DJ realm, sporting spaces um, in, in your life and work? For
2: sure. And you're right. Um, it's interesting, because again, while I was speaking earlier today, the same question came up. And my response is, is that, you know, I always use these opportunities to continue to highlight that there is still a gender gap. I think that there is a misconception, perception, that because you know, we've celebrated a hundred years of women's suffrage and a hundred years of women getting to vote this year, that we're celebrating a hundred years of women getting to do everything else. And it's like, actually, no. Um, And so there are still ceilings that are being, you know, shattering. And I even don't necessarily like the word glass ceiling, because for some it's concrete, You know what I mean? For some, it's still pretty, pretty intact, you know? So I guess, in that aspect, I just try to bring awareness to the fact that it is A, still an issue, B, it's worth celebrating for me, but it's like, why would I celebrate being the only? You know what I mean? It's it's an honor for sure, but let's talk about what else we can do or why it is that you know, women are shying away, and it's not that, beca- it's not that they can't, because we know we can't, I think inside, we all know that we're capable, and we have always said, anything you can do, I can do better, right, however, what is it that's in the way of me doing something, right now is a perfect, perfect time to examine why it is that women are reconsidering careers, employment are in jeopardy, Because of quarantining and being, you know, responsible for children and this and that and that. And it's like, okay, so you know, the only reason this is an issue is because now my child and I have to coexist in the same space, right? So Zoom meetings are harder. Mine is sitting right here. So anytime you see my this way, it's like, you know, I'm getting messed (laughs) up by my seven-year-old. But outside of being quarantined, I still have to take care of the child. You understand that, right? So it, it's it's difficult because I mean it's ruined relationships for me just being let's be because I think I, I've gotten to a point where I'm like, let me be extremely transparent when when certain questions get asked because then somebody else who's listening to this, it can resonate with them and hopefully it gives them some sort of comfort knowing that what they're going through is not unique to them. And for women, sometimes I don't know what it is that we feel like we're the only ones going through certain things but then if you disclose it right it it can be looked at as a weakness or whatever and those are the things that then disqualify you from being in the running or being a part whatever being i've been at job interviews for things like this where my work life balance has been questioned and i'm like since when you know you would never have a man come in here and say And and disclose to you that he had a newborn. I think that message at that point for that person would be, oh, congratulations. But meanwhile, for me, the mother, it's like, oh, you know, you're going to have to show up, right? You know, because let news flash. It can hail, snow, it can rain, Skittles. I still have to show up to the arena. There is no backup for Ivy. And so it's a slap in the face when somebody tells you, like, you know, you can't put your kid. Before this, right? Yeah, I know that. But trust me to be able to take care of that without you having to mention it as a qualifier for me. You know, so there's so many nuances that are even things like you know, getting asked, "Oh, how do you do your job with the kid?" You know, as a mother, or you know, potential suitors saying things like, "Ah, you know," so when you're ready to settle down, are you going to walk away, or you know? I need somebody who's gonna be at home all the time. I was just like, okay, that's not me, so bye. <laughs> you know, nice to meet you and great knowing you. Yeah, it's rough, it's rough out here. And I, I just feel like, let's just continue to shed light on pay gaps. You know what I mean? Even now, with the, there's an influx of female DJs and you know the assumption is that there's a less level of skill that you possess because of your gender and so now and i'm not gonna lie yes there are women who use djing and and sell their sensuality or sexuality or whatever as part of the package that's fine no not i respect anybody who can do who can choose to do something and do it right but there's guys too you know they're guys djing shirtless and and doing whatnot so why don't we call that out the same that we call out women you know so there's so many ways to in this rat, this is all I say. All I say is, I hope that I am not an embarrassment to, and I don't necessarily represent like the entirety of like the female population, right? Never did I ever or anybody have to sign up for being the face, right? But what I do hope is that in the space which I occupy and the influence that I have, that I will leave a great impression so that when another woman is in consideration, I'm the reference point right and that woman has it easier because I did what I was supposed to do and I did it in a way so if that means making sure my employer knows that my child comes first I do that i take taking my daughter to interviews I don't hide her I don't do any of that and I say you're gonna have to deal with me as I come she comes to shows she has her protective ear gear she knows how to you know what I mean like I've trained her from the time she was born So if you see her with me late at night at a concert venue, don't question me. You know what I mean? I know what I'm doing. I'm doing what I have to do. I'm working. You know, a lot of times two people associate what we do with pleasure. That's the bad part about it. It's not, I'm earning our keep, you know? And through the process, I hope that employers will start to normalize hardworking, high achieving, high ranking mothers who put their children first, you know? And can still succeed at what they do. So I'm hoping that I can lay that precedent so the next woman comes and doesn't have to look through the bullshit of having to feel like she can't thrive and be a family woman and have a fully functioning relationship and raise multiple children and still be kick-ass at her job. And, and not be stressed, may I add. It's not like I'm trying to do too much. I'm just doing what we do, which is be great at doing a lot of things, you know?
1: I love that, and it is rough out here. Um, I just, just want to echo that. And there's something really beautiful about you just laying it out there because I think there's a way that people will also answer that questions or other questions about process or the way they handle adversity and being like, I just overcome it, or you know, we're here now. This is, you know, there's a way that there's um, a really smooth, tight answer people like to give. When I'm like, no, but someone else needs to see that. The process is rough it's bumpy there's pushback you have to advocate for yourself and the fact you even have to is part of the problem in the first place right
2: absolutely and so absolutely. i
1: really that really resonates and i'm really grateful um that you gave that because i think that that's an important part of it too is like this idea of being the first is like you're like that's part of why we're here you can't even take pride in that as much as you're like okay but like when are we getting the second the third mm-hmm. and the fourth down the line
2: mm-hmm.
1: So walk us through, like, a standard kind of game day. How do you prepare pregame? What does that look like for you?
2: And even, like, at the beginning of the season, we schedule out the whole season. There are certain elements that don't change. You know that a game is doors open two and a half before. You know that at 30 on the clock, we go into pregame announcements. There's a structure in the formula to pretty much everything. There are going to be certain promotions that are recurring so once you prepare for it one time in the season you're pretty much done your homework so those things are typically in place so i don't have to reprogram every game but because i'm ivy and i just have so much time on my hands to do this that's very jokingly saying that i do because i think it's important you know i think about one of the fans i i value all our fans the same by the way i value the fan who's coming to the aac for the first time as much as the 26-year student ticket holder, who's been at every game for the past 26 years. And I'm like, how am I going to make this experience different for them this time around, even if but one time a day, right? So typically I'll go through our game script, which is emailed in a loose form 24 hours prior to the game, but the actual game day script does not come out until noon, typically, of a game day. So it's great leeway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... I'll go through and I'll program all the elements. Typically, you know, pulling pregame music, instrumentals for PA beds. I have a calendar. I'll Google, you know, today in history um, and understand kind of like what this day is today and what it has been every other day for as far back as I want to go. You know, it's, it's a lot. Like I keep up obviously very... In tune with pop culture, um, what happened last night at the award show, the news, pulling in all those elements. And so, just kind of making sure I wrap my mind around that. Opponents, it's really important to not play anything that says thunder when we're playing the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know what I mean? Just things you will never think about. Or, you're playing the heat, like stay away from things that are encouraging you know, hot or sun or here, that can make inferences that you're supporting the other team. And you can do it so annoyingly. I know one time we were playing the 76ers. I absolutely love the Fresh Prince theme song. It's like a real song in my head. Most of no know it was a real song. It is a real song, right? And I played it and they're like, wait, what? Or, like, I, I think I was, in that same game, I also played the Rocky theme song. They're like, oh, you're really like this on the other side of things sitting hot. I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't realize it. So that's the level of meticulousness that you have to think about each and everything through because you can really just become a meme in less than no time. I arrive at the arena typically two and a half hours to two hours to the game. Right around two and a half is great because a lot of guys start shooting around then. Um, once you get to know your team, you'll know like who's there earliest, who comes out when, you'll know who likes what, and you'll be able to kind of structure that accordingly. So I have to go get there, go to our our production room. We have now started instit- instituting pre-production meetings, um, going over the script. I also recently started to double as an arena host. So it's it's even more important for me to do that because then there's game scripts and all these other last minute changes that we all need to be in sync with. Then I go to my station, start the music. I have it down to now where I can just like let a playlist go. Go to media dining, get some food, use the bathroom, you know, things of that nature. I'm on headset all game long because I have to be in in constant calm with the entire production team. Something I'm really passionate about is just shedding light on my coworkers. I think that they're most unsung heroes ever. Like productions are huge, but I don't know if people really understand the manpower that it takes. Um, I have amazing coworkers who've been working in this field, some for more longer than I've been alive. No lie, you know, and I think that's where the wisdom is really passed down. That's where the knowledge, like these people have worked through analog systems. Like they've just seen. It's amazing to hear their stories. And I was such a nerd, so I spent a lot of time with them and just really, you know, love on them and, and learn from them and highlight them as much as possible. So I'm on headset, 30 minutes to the game, and at that point, it's just triggering, triggering everything per the script. Extremely scripted. That's when you hope your preparation serves you well, because again, nobody, I mean, we have a script, right? But we don't know what's going to happen. Um, I have i have a memorable story of March 11th that i always be able to tell, you know, I didn't know it was going to be the last professional sporting event that we all attend or how you attend. But at the beginning of that game, I mean, there was a lot of talk about games with no fans. And that was what was going to happen. A lot of people don't know. The Golden State Warriors were scheduled to play a a fanless game that day, actually, and I just received word that I was considered an essential worker. So if we're going to play without fans, then I was still required to be at work. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you just never know what will happen. So, again, at that point, you're on headset. You know, I play all of the auditory offense cues, defense cues, Sound effects, music, literally anything all any and all audio that does not come from a video is tracked by me, and you know at the end of the game, I'm a big believer in like setting the mood till the end, so I try my best to stay or at least keep a playlist going um up until the last couple of people are leaving in the building because so I just think it's so important to not end that experience abruptly, that keeps me at the arena. Typically about an hour, 10 hour and a half after the game. So yeah, it's a full work day. It's almost a whole eight hour work day. It just starts at five or four or yeah, four or 5pm up until like 11 or 10 or midnight, depending on the start time. So
0: yeah. It's such a treat to um, hear you sharing this, and I know I will never be able to go to an arena and, and listen the same again, which is, um, you know, it's, it's incredible, just sort of the, the level of nuance, the attention to detail, and really being instrumental to that experience as much as the game itself. Grateful for all of that, that work um, that goes into it. And you mentioned briefly in high school, you used to take requests. Is that something you still do? Do you take requests for your playlists?
2: I do. I mean, listen, here's the thing. As long as you don't hold me to it, right? Like, I think the thing about requests is once you commit, you commit, right? Once you acknowledge, it's almost like you're engaging in this, like, pact with somebody. And it's like now you against them because it's like they don't hear it or whatever. But listen, I love it because I I always say the more people have a say in, in something, the more they're appreciative of it. And then I always say, I am not here for myself. Like, I'm here to try to engage and, and, and you know, interact with as many fans as possible. Now, 20,000 of them is a lot. That's on any particular night. But I'm really active on socials. You know, we've got it to wear now on our Jumbotron. They'll say, hey, tweet, what might be your request and whatnot. And I think there's nothing more special than a fan you know tweeting a request and knowing that their voice is valuable and being heard and those are the things that you know I always you think about contributing to the bottom line right because this is it's a business function it's my level of customer service and that's how I look at it now and again it's no promises Um, and this is in the arena when I'm in a club it's different it's like when I'm in a club is I don't have time like it's two hours it's quick you know but at the same time I'm careful with that because what we fail sometimes to realize is that that is an opportunity for somebody to teach you something that you did not know, or to show you that people are leaning in one way or another, showing some sort of, you know, um, preference to maybe a new song, or it's what I call market research, right? So it really all just depends on your frame of mind. And I know some DJs pride themselves on no requests, and da 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 da, da. And I'm like, I'm, this is not an anarchy. Like, I'm not here to force my will on you. You know, it's collaborative, but just be easy with me. And then, obviously, you know, like, in the arena, please know that. And I've done it. I've pulled records in the middle of a game and down and It's a process. So, sometimes it's always, it's not as easy. But I love, especially our Mavs fans, I think that, you know, this is as much their experience as it is mine, and they deserve to have a say-so. I mean, down to... Even ticket holder surveys. I mean, I ask all types of questions when I, when I have, I've been, I've asked the organization to allow me to um, include questions about music and sound and in in all the surveys that we send out, you know, songs you don't want to hear anymore or songs you've heard too much. Cause you know, there is a level, I'm in this place where I'm trying to phase out like certain things. It's like, I love jock jams. I'm a jock jammer, love them. Do I want to hear them in arenas anymore? No. So we're all about building I'm all about building new traditions, um, celebrating old but it's that's me. If our fans really love rock and roll part two, guess what? Rock and roll part two is here to stay. You know, so um again, just customer service, market research, things I always try like to keep in mind. And it's just fun. <laughs> it's just fun.
1: I'm thinking about like the fact that you have the basketball background, the basketball experience of being in the arena as a ball girl, and then also mm-hmm. being now um, really the sports sound strategist, how much basketball knowledge goes into your job? If like, you have this sheet, but there's also, it feels to me, partly basketball intelligence part basketball intuition in terms of knowing your cues or what might be the most appropriate thing in a given situation. How does that operate for you?
2: I couldn't have said it better. I'm actually might have to borrow that and I'll make sure I credit you because I've never been able to articulate that as well as you just have. I think what makes me successful in what I do is that and then in the intuition. So for example, um, and a lot of that comes with overall basketball, but then even just your team and your players and your guys and the plays and all of that. I got really good at knowing when Maxi was going to throw Dwight Powell a lob. So I can anticipate an alley-oop and I can anticipate a sound so that when I hit it, it's concurrent with the play. And there is a window, there's a small window where if you activate an auditory cue for a play, it amplifies it and blows out the water. It could come two seconds later and it will not be the same. It could come too early and they miss it. And then you look stupid because <laughs> it's like, oh wait, what happened? I mean, which I've done 20,000 before. Even fast breaks, a lot of those things you just kind of have to like know and be mindful of where the ball is going. And I'm sure it's the same with hockey and any other professional sport. And so yeah, a level—it's a lot of that. I mean, I know basketball pretty, pretty freaking well, you know. Um, I don't, and so I always think if I'm put in a football arena, I'm gonna be like, uh. Uh <laughs> Like, I mean, you know, you can figure it out because you're right, it can be scripted for you. But then you lose that authenticity and you lose, you lose a little bit of just, you know, insight that makes your decision making a lot more on point and relevant and appropriate. So
1: so now we're in a very different time, a different sound within the NBA's bubble, for example. Um, yeah. So we're not in a complete, it's not listening on mute, but it is sonically very different. It's kind of eerie to me when I'm watching these games for, you know, the NBA bubble, the WNBA bubble. it just feels different. Like how do you, when you're watching these games, how do you sense them now?
2: Oh man, it's weird because it's weird. So Interesting story. I turned down invitations to both the NBA bubble and the Wubble because of assuming my new role in, in CSR, but I was in there, but I also had to prepare our team's sound package for the DJs that were on the ground. And it was weird. It was weird because there was a limit placed on how much we could send. And I was like, ah, but this might not work or actually like do do i have to just send two sounds or can i send you an alternate but if i was there that's nothing like it's a science to me you know and i mean I it's it's like i know at the back of my hand so having to transfer that responsibility to somebody else and i love the fact that i i knew who i was transferring it to so that made it better and shout out to all the djs who got you know who held it down in there um courtney you know DJ Mil from the nets and um shauna from the bucks and Pause from the nuggets i know dj heat from the mystics and the wizards is down in the bubble DJ O, formerly of the bugs i mean in the wobble is down the wobble i'm personally glad i had relationships to be able to say okay now like play this here this guy like this and that but then when you watched it on tv it was just like oh like how ha- and then like knowing that it doesn't actually even sound like that in there you know it was extremely loud you can hear the music clearer than you can in an actual arena or an actual broadcast the density of of how you have an arena filled with twenty thousand people it absorbs so much of the sound the actual music but because there was nothing you could hear everything and i was like i'd be so nervous because you didn't know, you get away with playing an accidental dirty word or whatever. When well, the building is packed and it's just like absorbed, but when it's not, it blares out loud, just bouncing off the wall So from that perspective, it was different. Plus, they're not playing in an arena; they're playing in a gym. You know, so I guess yeah. So the spacing probably—I don't know. I have to ask. I'm actually going to ask now because that probably messed with them a lot in terms of reverb and head setting, and from the technological standpoint, from the TV standpoint. You know, I think the league has done an incredible job of trying to recreate that broadcast feel. Um, It still sounds so weird. It still sounds like a tournament. You know and I mean, I love, you know, the squeaky shoes and like even hearing the guys scream and holler. And it's just like, you know, you have to remember that it's, it's still dead. Silent. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's, it's so weird for me. I mean, even in trying to prepare for what will be a season next season, I don't know. It's like all this virtual stuff is just the human connectivity aspect of in-game interaction is so necessary i feel like we're playing a video game where this person pops on your screen like i've had to host a couple of our virtual like trivia games and it's like ugh. then you just become that person who pops up on teams like hi my name is ivy thank you for coming to that press one it, you know what i mean and it's just like it's so mechanical you know but you know what? It's the reality of where we're headed. I have to say that the quicker we learn to embrace it and the quicker we learn how to still give that same feel or adapt if necessary, you know, as DJs, hosts, talent, I mean, our mascots, so you got to think about how many entertainers um, are going to have to adjust, dance, all types of stuff. So, you know, kudos to the league for doing their absolute best in a very tight, gosh, turnaround time. But I need I need my fans back, man. Like I need to be able to hear them yell and roar. And I would love like even the guys, you know, it's it's I would love to talk to some of them and just see, like, how do you feel about doing this forever? <laughs> you know? We need one another, man. We need to be close to one another. I just truly believe in, you know, connectivity and, and human personal just touch and interaction. Well, hopefully, our, our seats won't be six feet apart forever.
1: <laughs> That's the hope. We need We need that. Like, I mean, for us, yeah. how a general admission concert or, you know, DJ set or being at an arena, like those are the things that will feel when we can do that safely and not even have the second thought about yeah having a stranger or like hugging someone in an emotional, like, you know.
2: <laughs> you just killed
1: me because it's like, man,
2: what are we going to do? Like, you know eat okay let me give you a perfect example all right so luka stepped back 3 in game 4 game 4 versus the clippers that was supposed to be a home game for us <sighs> like having to imagine that as a moment like on the a hey, bro and then the stars game the very next day like that building would have come down you know what i mean uh, like yeah. those moments we like oh my gosh like the thought of not being a those are the things that bring us bring strangers together you know what i mean and it just i think it just continues to highlight the importance of sports as a community building activity as a unifier as there's a need for it for that so when people were like oh you know we don't need professional sports and this that and the third and then i'm like yeah no this is not about dollars and cents this isn't about you know business and politics this is about." People from all walks of life sitting together, twenty thousand of them strong, for the simple fact that they're supporters of Phoenix
1: Mercury or Dallas Wings or whatever. You know. So, if we were in the in, in arena DJ or in stadium DJ, what would be like your walk-up song? If you're like a baseball player, what would be the song that would get you hype? What would be playing for you to get you in the zone?
2: I love this. This has never happened to me before. Oh, ah. God.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: Oh man, this is a trick question. I would be the player whose walk-up song changes every game. That would be my trademark. Flux Pavilion. I can't stop. Nas and Lauren Hill. If I ruled the world. Beyonce, Sinelli, Tierra Weck, Yemme All A Day, and Bucito. I think that's everybody on that song, but My Power. We'll just leave it at those three for right now. I'm probably trying to tackle, but those are the first three that came to my head. So, yeah. I
0: love it. It's great. Um, it's so fun to see what people share, too. It's so enlightening about who we are, what gets us hype, and then being able to share in that energy It's <laughs> great. So now I'm going to go back and re-listen to all of those after this interview. <laughs> um so next question, if you sort of like could dream up anything of an artist, athlete, artist team collaboration, is there one that you would love to see happen? Any sport, any level, any artist or group of bringing music and sports together? Absolutely.
2: <laughs> Serge Ibaka and Pasco Siakam have been cracking me up lately with these pregame routines and they're listening to like, <laughs> like just African, um, whether it's like Sukus or, you know, Lingala or any of that kind of stuff. So maybe, maybe it would be like Serge Ibaka and Owila Logomba. I don't know. Um, (laughs) It'd be something. And they're both, Serge and Owila are both really, you know, aside from being Congolese, they're really um, vibrant personalities. So that would actually be kind of awesome. But obviously... Maybe even like a Victor Oladipo, but he, now he's an athlete and a musician, but maybe that and something else, you know? Uh, but I, I mean, I've been, that's something that I explore a lot. I connect a lot of athletes who are also musicians. It typically happens. I mean, Essence Carson, and the shots of my girl Skylar Diggins-Smith, because she's the one who really like, again, believed in me, gave me the start, but also like showed me that, you know, it's so important to athletes what they listen to do that process, they become, like, musicians themselves, you know. She'd be somebody who I'd love to see um, showcase her musical abilities, too, that y'all may or may not know that she has. <laughs> I just
1: so. learned something. I did not know that. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. And sur- I, the Surge connection also, because I just imagine, like, an ad, like, I could see him doing something, something involving the scarves, because the scarves, Yes. Like, <laughs> I feel like
2: that's I'll, I'll tell you what I love I'm and shout out to again you know my Marquette guys like I'm in love with this Jimmy ad like it just lights me up so because I recently discovered how much I love hollow notes <laughs> and didn't even know and but you know like Jimmy's a country boy like that's nothing new to him but I love all things destroying stereotypes you know what I mean I'm um, really displacing them and again, sports and music and the arts are our greatest unifier. So no matter what walk of life you come from, whether you understand the language or not, whether you understand the sport or not, you can watch it and really like, you know, touch into that emotion and really be drawn in and the camaraderie. And, and then also with music, whether you understand what's being said or not, it's really more about how it makes you feel more than anything.
1: Amazing. Well, DJ Poison yeah. Ivy, sports sound strategist, for the Dallas Mavericks. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope to one day be able to come to the AAC again where we can hear you in your full element. That's now on our wish list in the next oh. I don't know, five years whenever we get outside. Um, <laughs> but for more from DJ Poison Ivy and Sounding off, you can visit us at the soundofvictory.org. Thank you so, so, so much. It is
2: my absolute pleasure. Thank you all so much for having it and keep being awesome. Definitely, everybody tuning in, keep tuning in. Actually, do me a favor. I always ask people to go back if you love this episode and listen to all of the previous episodes catch up and then come back and then stay tuned for more so thank you all so much for having me